So can anyone tell me why John 13 through 17 is called the farewell discourse? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The last few hours before uh, Jesus, specifically this uh, section, probably about five hours, John 13 through 17. And so it was the last five hours that Jesus was a, a free man, so to speak. And so literally, right as we finish John chapter 17, right at that moment when Jesus finishes this, this farewell discourse, this teaching, that's when Judas shows up with the, uh, the Roman guards and is going to betray Jesus. Um, and so John 13 through 17 are the things that were on Jesus's mind right before he's going to the cross, right before he knows that he's going to be leaving the disciples behind. Uh, he's going to be crucified. He's going to rise again. And then earlier in this, in this section of scripture that we've been studying, it talks about how he's, after he rises again, he's going to go back to the Father. We saw that in John chapter 13, towards the beginning of the chapter there. And so... For you guys, as you're thinking about this section, uh, an illustration that I've been coming back to over and over again is if you knew that you only had 12 hours to live, what would you say to those that were closest to you? What would you say to prepare them for the reality that you are not going to be there with them any longer? Because that is what Jesus is sharing here. He's sharing his very heart in this section of scripture uh, to those in, we read, I think it was, last week those that he calls friends he calls them friends and so he's sharing his very heart with his friends so with that said let's read tonight's passage and we'll kind of we'll dig in a little bit uh, so john chapter 15 we're going to read verses 18 through 27 and this is what god's word says to us if the world hates you you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do for you, do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin, but now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that was written in their law. They hated me without cause. And when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. This is uh, God's word to us. Let's pray. 
Father, we come before you and uh, we're so thankful that you've given us your word. So thankful that you have, that you made the first move, that you have communicated to us fallen and sinful people, that you have taught us, like your word says, uh, the scriptures teach us the way of salvation. They make us wise unto the way of salvation, Lord. We're so thankful that you, uh, that your Holy Spirit opens the eyes of the blind and opens deaf ears to hear the gospel, to see the beauty of Christ, and to receive him as Lord and Savior. So, Father, as we study your word now, I pray that you would help us to come under the authority of your scriptures. I pray that you would help us uh, to, uh, to bank on your word, to trust it, to treasure it. Uh, Father, your word says that uh, the scriptures are sweeter than honey. I pray that that would be true for us. I pray that that would be true for me. So, Father, as we study your word, I ask that you would bless us. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Amen. So, I just had this realization uh, that it seems like almost every week I'm telling you guys a Safeway story. Uh, so, once again, it's Safeway story time. Um, so, for those of you who don't know, Gideon, I used to work at Safeway. Um, <laughs> and uh, so... The theme of, of this section of scripture is help in a hostile world. Help in a hostile world. And as I was thinking about my own life and, and the reality of persecution that uh, this section of scripture uh, reveals to us, I was thinking back to when I first joined Safeway and joined the night crew there, um, which was awful. I do not ever recommend working graveyard. I, I hated it. Um, but so I remember uh, shortly after starting there, um, there was a new guy that got hired on after me, um, and he was the most ardent atheist I've ever met in my life, the most just staunch atheist. And so it was interesting uh, because up until that point, I hadn't really encountered a ton of like opposition to my faith. It was like people... You know, you tell them you're a Christian, they're like, oh, that's cool. If that works for you, that's good. But this guy was like, no, that's stupid. You shouldn't believe that. And so he would come into work every night with a new argument. It went, this went on for months. But he would come into, into work every night with a new argument for why I was stupid for believing the Bible, why there was contradictions in the Bible, and uh, why I should, I should uh, abandon the Christian faith. Um, and so... After months of back and forth, um, I remember one night he brought up this debate between, uh, I think it was Bill Nye and Ken, Ken Ham or something like that. And uh, basically it was trying to say that, you know, clearly uh, since Bill Nye argued better, that means that, you know, uh, evolution and the secular uh, humanist worldview is, is superior to Christianity. And I remember yelling at him, I actually swore, um, just real talk. I'm, I'm a sinner. Fun fact. Um, and I remember yelling at this guy. I'm like, Bill Nye is a moron and, you know, all this stuff. And uh, I remember coming home from work that night just devastated by the failure, uh, by my failure in that moment. And that was probably one of the most significant experiences of 
persecution or, or challenge to my faith that I had experienced thus far. And I was a fairly new Christian. I think I'd only been a believer at that point for about maybe a year, six months to a year, something like that. Um, but I remember sitting on the floor uh, crying um, and just being really frustrated at myself that I would react that way to this person who didn't know Jesus. And so I was just praying and asking the Lord, like, Lord, uh, help me. Help this, this person who doesn't know you. Um, and the interesting thing, this is just a side note, but the interesting thing was is from that day on, when I made the conscious choice to pray for this person, God didn't change him, but he changed me, which was the interesting thing. I no longer hated his guts. I wasn't like mad at him all the time for coming up with these arguments. It was almost like eventually I just kind of started to laugh at it. And I was just, I just kind of stopped engaging with it and just tried to be his, his friend and tried to live and speak in such a way that I revealed that the gospel was, was a reality and that I believed it with all my heart. Um, and I, to this day, I don't know if he's saved. Um, we ha- I do remember having some good conversations with him after that. But the reason that I, that I bring that, that up, my Safeway story time, um, is because persecution is a reality. Like, hostility towards your Christian faith is a reality. You will be challenged. Either in school now, you may already be in the process of being challenged by different people or different worldviews. But you definitely will get challenged when you go to college. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Surviving Religion 101 um, by a guy who I'll probably take some of you guys through this book at some point, maybe this next year, um, by a guy who, was a, who is now a seminary professor and New Testament scholar. And the reason that he is a seminary professor and New Testament scholar is because when he went to college, he had a professor who tried his hardest to convince him out of his faith. And so rather than giving up and giving in, he dug in harder and looked for answers to these questions that he had and that his, that his teacher was posing to him. And that changed the trajectory of his life. And instead of going to school for, I, I don't even remember what he was going to school for, but instead of going to school for his original plan, he became a seminary professor and New Testament scholar because this atheist wanted to mess with him and wanted to try and, and uh, get him to give up the faith. It seems it didn't really work very well for the guy's tactic. Um, but so the reason I share all that is because in this passage, so we know that Jesus is about five hours away from being betrayed or maybe a couple hours away from being betrayed at this point. And so he's already talked to his disciples about you know, what it means to love and serve one another. He's talked to his disciples about, um, about the nature of God, that God is a triune God. He's talked to the disciples about the person of the Holy Spirit and, and his role in you know, our lives as Christians. And now, now that he, know, he knows that you know, he's kind of coming to the end of this, this uh, discussion that he's having with his friends, now he's preparing them for the reality that they live in a hostile world, a world that is hostile towards God. In fact, in the beginning of the scripture, we actually see kind of this, uh, if you look in Genesis 3.15, um, 
it mentions uh, conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so this is kind of one of those overarching Bible themes that runs all throughout Scripture. But you see this conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Uh, Paul says it this way in Colossians. He says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so one of these themes that we see running throughout Scripture is this, uh, this war between these two kingdoms. Uh, Satan trying to gain the upper hand, as it were, and with, in absolute futility because he can never win. Uh, because God is God and sovereign over all. Um, but Satan just doesn't get the message, I guess. Um, and so where we find ourselves now in this particular section of Scripture, it's on the night before the total, and com- the total victory uh, that Christ was about to accomplish on the cross. So it's the night before it's like game over for Satan. Um, And so this is where we find ourselves in John 13 through 17. And so what the reality is, is what the Bible presents. Um, Even Jesus, when he's speaking in the Gospels, he talks about uh, the wheat and the tares or the wheat and the weeds, you know. Um, It talks about how both of them kind of grow uh, in the same field, right, in parallel. And so it's this idea that both kingdoms continue to exist until Jesus comes back, right? And so it's this reality that we have to keep in mind as Christians because we live, for all intents and purposes, we live behind enemy lines. We live in the world. We live, uh, First John says that the whole world is under the sway of the devil. And so we live in this broken and fallen world in which the devil... Uh, has blinded, it says in, in 2 Corinthians, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they don't see the beauty of the gospel. And so we should expect conflict. We should expect persecution because Satan hasn't got the message yet. He doesn't understand that he's defeated. He still thinks that he can win. Even though Jesus trounced him, and put him to open shame, as, it's, as Paul says, I think, in Colossians, it says that he put the, the principalities and powers, which is just another way of saying uh, the demons, and Satan put them to open shame, triumphing over them through the cross, through the blood of the cross. And so there's this theme that runs throughout Scripture, the idea that we live in a world that is hostile towards God. And so it makes sense that we as believers, if we are in relationship with God, then the world will be hostile towards us. And so Jesus, being the loving and gentle and wonderful Savior that he is, gives the disciples three truths that are meant to help them in the midst of a, of a hostile world. Three truths, and we'll see them from this passage. Uh, The three truths are this. The first is that the disciple is chosen by God. The disciple is chosen by God. The second one 
is that the world does not know God. The world doesn't know God. And the third is that the disciple has the Holy Spirit. So the disciple is chosen by God. The world doesn't know God. And the disciple has the Holy Spirit. Look with me at verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. And then look with me at verse 20, where he says, A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And so Jesus begins by explaining that when the world persecutes the disciples, it's not necessarily because of anything in and of themselves, but rather it's because they are united to Jesus Christ. And so the disciple is automatically a target of persecution simply because he is in a relationship with God because he has been transferred from the kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan into the kingdom of light ruled by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. And so this, uh, when they observe the fact that we are different, that we don't live by the same morals and ethics, but we have a different way of life, when the world sees that, it makes them uncomfortable. In fact, uh, John, earlier in the gospel, he says that, uh, I think it's in chapter 3, he says that this is the, the judgment, that light has come into the world and the world hates the light because its deeds are dark. That's a loose paraphrase. Um, but it's this idea of the world does not like light. It's kind of like, uh, you think about, I don't know, a rodent or something like they they come out at night you know and they come and steal food and all that kind of stuff but when you turn on the light they scramble and they scurry all over the place and they try and get in the dark right they don't want to be seen that's the world that's what it's like they live in darkness because what god does is he shines a light on our sinfulness he shines a light on the fact that we have fallen short of the glory of god and we can't handle that because it's humiliating because it's unbearable. We know deep down that we have fallen short, that we do not live up to the standard that God has for us. People know that. And so they avoid God. They hate God. Which is such a shame because they don't realize that God loves them and that he sent his son for them. So, anyway, um, in 1 Peter chapter 4, um, he talks, he, Peter talks about this same, this same reality when he says, he says, so they, speaking of the world, they are astonished when you do not rush with them into the same flood of wickedness and they vilify you. Or in other words, they, they treat you like the bad guy. So the world, when they see the way that faith uh, that she acts differently, right? That she loves, that she serves, that she, uh, <laughs> you know, acts in a way that is contrary to the world. 
us believers, we're like, yeah, go get them. But the world's like, we don't like that. We don't like people who are different than us, right? And so it causes this, this uh, angst in them, if you will. And so this is where this comes in, this illustration. A lot of times we as Christians are going to feel like this guy right here. We're going to feel weird, like we don't belong, and because we have a different, uh, a different way of living because Jesus has, has claimed us as his own. And that's, that's kind of the point here. When he says, I chose you out of the world, what's interesting about that word is it's the Greek word, see if I can pronounce it correctly, eklegomai, eklego, whatever, uh, pronunciation, whatever. Um, but it gives this idea of like, um, think about like if you're, if you're at Safeway and you're going through the checkout line and there's like all these different candies, right? Like, there's all these options, right? And obviously, you're going to get, you know, fill in the blank. For me, it's Mr. Goodbar because I love chocolate and peanuts together. It's glorious. Um, and so, but it's this idea of selecting one out of all these different options. And so the point, the point is this, is that the world will automatically hate us because we have been chosen by God. And the reason that we've been chosen by God because he loves us. In fact, what's interesting is that in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he uses this word, those who have been foreknown, these he also predestined. Now that word foreknown is really interesting because it actually mirrors an Old Testament word, uh, yada. And what that means is it doesn't mean like foreknow is to see the future, but it actually means to love in advance. So what Paul is communicating there in that passage is that before God created anything, he had Joel in mind, and he said that when I create Joel, he's mine. I'm going to adopt him as my beloved son, and he's going to be part of my family. That is amazing, and it's a beautiful, beautiful reality. But because you as a disciple have been chosen by God, you act differently. You are different because you're in God's family. And so because you act differently and because you are of God, you are in God's family, the world will necessarily persecute you, will necessarily not like you. And we just have to learn as Christians to be okay with that. Jesus said that if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow me. So we should expect that if we follow a Messiah who was crucified and persecuted, and we are united to that Messiah, we should expect the same treatment. But the reality and the reason that this would be such a comfort, this first truth would be such a comfort to the disciples, is because God chose you. Knowing, and this is the crazy thing, knowing your sins, knowing your flaws, knowing every wrong thing you would ever do, he said, TJ, you're going to be my son. And he, he made that decision 
before the world was even created, it says in Ephesians 1. It's an amazing, amazing reality. So my question for you is when you're going through, you know, being persecuted, when you're going through being made fun of for your faith, do you call that to mind? Do you call to mind, oh, I'm a child of God. God chose me and he has called me to be part of his family. That's why they're, that's why they're making fun of me, right? That's why they're calling me weird. Uh, can't tell you how many times I got called weird when I was at Safeway for not going along with the jokes or, you know, whatever. But do you believe that? Do you believe that God chose you? That he knew you before you were ever created? I hope you do, because the Bible teaches it. So the, that's the first, the first truth that's helpful. Second truth is this, is that the world does not know God. Look with me at verse 21. It says, These things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. And then look down at verse here verse 25 where he says but they have done this to fulfill the word that was written in their law they hated me without cause and so jesus goes on to explain the difference between the disciples and the world and this is the the interesting thing is he doesn't say that they reject you because they're jerks he doesn't say that they reject you because they're meanie pants he says that they reject you because they do not know God. He says they reject you because they don't know God. And we as Christians, you're probably wondering why the donut's on the screen. Don't worry, I'm getting there. Um, and we as Christians, we know the joy of a relationship with Jesus. And if you don't, we can talk afterwards. I'd love to talk to you. Um, but we as Christians, we know God. And because we know God, we act differently than the world, right? And so we who know God, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So it's kind of like when you're eating something that tastes really, really good and you've got some extra, right? And you're like, come, share this with me because it tastes really good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's why the donuts are up there. Um, because it's an example of we, we call people who are seeking to satisfy their souls on, on the things of this world, on you know, jobs, money, relationships, sex, drugs, alcohol, whatever it is. Everyone has been created for a relationship with God. And so anything that is used as a substitute for a relationship with God will always fall short and will always disappoint. And so we, as Christians, we get the unique opportunity to call people in and we say, taste and see that the Lord is good. Turn from your wicked ways. Why would you die in something and, and give your life to something that is so absolutely not gonna satisfy you? Taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is relevant for you because as you are going to school, when you go to college, 
you're going to probably have people that are going to disagree with you, that are going to challenge you on your faith. And what you need to know is that the reason that they're doing that is because they don't know God. And that should break our hearts. We should weep over the fact that there's people that don't know God that don't realize that they have been made for a relationship with God. And we have the answer. So good. Um, So first one, the disciple has been chosen by God. The world does not know God. And the last one is this, is that the disciple has the Holy Spirit. Uh, Look with me at verses 26 and 27. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. Can someone look up Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Whoever has it, just go ahead and start reading it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Cool. Thank you. So that relates to this idea of the Holy Spirit. If you notice verse 26, he says, uh, When the Helper comes, that is the Spirit who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And so you've seen over and over again in this section of scripture that we've been going through, Jesus is, is talking about how when he goes away, when he goes back to be with the Father, he's going to send the Holy Spirit to empower the church so that the church can be witnesses. And what's really interesting is that in that one verse in the book of Acts, that literally gives you the structure of the entire book. Because he says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that's how the book is structured. It's pretty crazy how first you see the Holy Spirit come in Jerusalem and like 3,000 people get saved, right? And then the same thing happens in Judea, Samaria. And then you see the rest of the book is Paul's missionary journey to the ends of the known, of the known world at that particular time. And so, but the point is this, is that the Holy Spirit, when he comes... And we, as disciples, have the Holy Spirit. And this is one of the things that Jesus is articulating to his disciples. One of the, one of the roles of the, of the Holy Spirit is to draw attention to Jesus, is to point people to Jesus. And so we, as disciples of Jesus and Jesus speaking to his disciples, also, being people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, If that is the Holy Spirit's role, then that is our role as well. So we point people to Jesus like a sign. Um, But I'm just kind of giving these as visuals for you. But it's like we as Christians, because we have the Holy Spirit of God, one of our main roles is to be pointing people to Christ, like we were just talking about with the previous point. And... The Holy Spirit, he enables us to be witnesses, right? In that verse, it said, you will receive power 
to be my witnesses. You'll receive power to be my witnesses. And this is relevant for you guys because when you're at school and you have people around you that are making fun of you for being a Christian, or when you go off to college and you have a professor in your face telling you that you believe some archaic uh, textbook that's full of contradictions and nonsense, or a fairy tale, as some, I think Richard Dawkins likes to call it that, when you have those people in your face, you'll be really tempted to think that you're all by yourself. You'll be really tempted to think that you're all alone. And what God's word says to you is that you are not alone. You have the Holy Spirit of the living God inside you, giving you strength to bear witness to Jesus Christ, to giving you the strength to tell people about Jesus Christ, to tell people the gospel. You are not alone. So we'll close with this, and then we'll go into our discussion groups. Um, whether you are working at Safeway one day or if you're off at college or, you know, working uh, another job, I want these three truths to be ringing in your ears and rattling around in your minds and hearts. It's that when the world rejects you, know that your heavenly father chose you. Know that your heavenly father accepts and loves you and wants you to be part of his family. Know that you have been chosen by God. When the world is hostile towards you, remember that the reason that they're hostile to you is because they don't know God. They haven't tasted and seen the goodness of God. They haven't experienced the joy of a relationship with the Creator who made them. It gives us compassion because we realize that they're missing out. And lastly, when you feel tempted to think that you're all alone, remember that you have the Holy Spirit who is with you. And he will give you strength to point others to Jesus. And above all, remember this, that Jesus came to a hostile world to a world that hated him. In fact, in Romans 5, Paul says that while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Jesus came and he demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And not only that, but he rose again and he lives forevermore as the Savior, Lord, and King of the universe. Let's pray, and then we'll go into our groups.